This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. Today is September the 29th. My name is John Dunn. And before we get started on this week's episode, I just want to say that all of us here at Best Friends, we are thinking of everyone down in Florida that's been affected by Hurricane Ian and everyone who will be feeling the effects of this storm over the coming days and weeks. Now, as the storm was closing in on the southwest coast of Florida, Best Friends was working with our partners in that state and beyond to help clear the shelters in the path of the hurricane. As we learn from other catastrophic storms, as the storm clears, there are lots of lost pets who need to get home. So having that space in the local shelters is vital to ensure that people have the best chance to be reunited with their pets. If you are in an affected area and you need help, or if you live outside of Ian's path and you're able to help, let us know. We've put contact information into the show notes. It can sometimes take several days for us to truly understand the impact and the needs, and those needs will likely carry on long after the news cycle has ended. So if you're able to help, please check out the show notes on your podcast platform of choice and let us know. Best Friends National Conference in July, one presentation was titled, What the Real Housewives Can Teach Us About Shelter Management. And yes, that absolutely piqued my interest. So then I read the session description that helped to clarify. Big drama, personal goals, dashed expectations, spa days, the rumor mill. Say what you will about reality TV, but as shelter managers, we've got a lot more in common with the Real Housewives than you might think. This engaging and lighthearted session will provide animal welfare leaders with some inspiration and guidance on preventing common problems, overcoming challenges, fighting back when necessary, and even accepting the fact that folks are absolutely talking behind your back. I mean, who doesn't want to learn more about that, right? So to do that, I chatted with the presentation's author, the Senior Director of Life-Saving Programs at Best Friends, McKenna Yarbrough. What was the genesis of this presentation, McKenna? You know, what brought you to the point of photoshopping your head onto the bodies of uh, the real housewives for a presentation? So I um, am a huge housewives fan. I will acknowledge that I, that's my guilty pleasure, that in the 90 Day Fiance, I hate to say it. But I've seen most of these housewives franchise started with I think it was started with Orange County or maybe it was Beverly Hills. Doesn't matter. So I was in a meeting. I was talking about the housewives and someone said, you know, that you could equate that same thing to animal sheltering. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I got to thinking, we put on a lot of different topics at our conference, right? And sometimes we are very forward and upfront with what that topic is. And people who really need that learning opportunity don't always come to that conference topic because they think they may not, they already know it, right? I already know about open adoptions or I don't want to go learn about open adoptions because we're not going to do it. So this was my way of enticing people into the room with an interesting title and topic to really cover some important information. And hopefully that people that normally wouldn't come to it would come and listen. That's actually a good tip there. I think for folks who want to speak at conferences, when you submit your proposals, 
including pop culture references, pretty good way to be noticed. But a lot of people, to be fair, may also have said, Real Housewives, what a terrible show. I'm not going to that presentation. Right. But it was a lot of people came because they were like, how is she going to tie this to the humane world or to the sheltering world or all of the work that we're doing? And I had a lot of fun trying to put it all together. There was a few moments where I was like, I'm not sure that ties. But um, I mean, I'll give you an example. We all deal with gossip. We all deal with negative advocates in our community. Every one of us. I recently had a, a phone conversation with a director who had a staff member leave and then did all these social media posts and put out a lot of false information. It was the first time she'd ever dealt with it. And she'd only been in the field for like a year. I'm like, everyone has dealt with this at some point. So on this topic, if you think about it, you know, how you deal with gossip and um, negative information coming towards you is something that happens all the time on the housewives. They're always talking about each other and they're always confronting each other and they're always fighting. In fact, I mean, we had a table flip in the New Jersey housewives episode and many fights since. So what can you learn from the housewives is, you know, have high standards around how you communicate make sure that you're addressing the gossip and you're not ignoring it. You also want to acknowledge that sometimes there's might be an element of truth in that and the information that's being shared. What's the nugget of one thing that could possibly be true or one thing that you can acknowledge that could be true or a slight variation of it that you might want to look in the mirror and say, all right, so this one little thing, can I change that? Or do I need to change that? It's just a matter of, of listening to, to, your, to those people in the community that are talking negatively about your organization, A, to be able to educate and know how to deal with it, but also to see if there's anything that you truly need to change. Okay, so I'll be honest with you. I've not watched the Real Housewives shows, uh, but like a lot of people, you know, I've certainly seen the promos and it always looks like the highest drama possible, you know, people screaming at each other. You mentioned a table flip. Not things anyone should be doing. I think that's probably fair to say. So what are we trying to learn to do from the Real Housewives, McKenna? Or, or should we be learning what not to do? Yeah, exactly. I appreciate you saying that. Because the way to react to your negative Nellies or your your social media, anti-social, those posts on social media that are anti your organization is not to be overreactive, right? So you don't want to flip the table. You don't want to get emotional. You want to keep it very simple. Make sure that you're seen as the um, experts and not get mired down in the mud with the different groups. Don't, the one thing that I see a lot of groups do, and I talked to this executive director about extensively, don't respond on other people's pages. So if I shared a negative post and it's on my page or it's on a, uh, let's say a neighborhood uh, Facebook page and that this information's out there, the more you combat it on those sites in regards to direct conversations, it just keeps it going and it keeps creates, it, you come down to their level rather than staying, staying high level. I always suggest that you that you put out a statement on your own page 
And if someone wants to share that, that's their business, but don't go into dialogue with others around negative information. So yeah, I can't believe you've never seen The Housewives, John. I mean, that's just insane. My husband has even watched a few. Really, I truly, I don't think I have. And I promise I'm not just trying to be one of those contrarians who acts like he's too good for, you know, the latest pop culture phenomenon. I absolutely watch a fair amount of terrible television in my own right. But one of the things I thought was interesting from your presentation was really just about looking in the mirror. I think it's easy for us when we're critiqued. I mean, let's leave our organizations out of it. You're married. I'm married. Everyone listening to this has had a relationship and you receive feedback. You know, that critique, it can be difficult to hear, maybe more so from the ones you love, you know, your peers, your colleagues, your volunteers, board members. If you're able to look in the mirror honestly, I think more often than not, you're going to say, you know, I might not agree with all of that, but there's a kernel of truth there. And maybe, you know, what is it that's causing that person to think that or say that or feel that way? And how can I help them understand better? So much of this is hard to do. You know, it's big time adult stuff. But as they say, don't kill the messenger. Right. And honestly, a lot of times just having those one-on-one conversations with the individuals, I, I mean, it's not fun, but you should always talk to them directly if possible. They'll let you. If for no other reason to understand their why so that you can better educate the community who may have similar fears that aren't expressing it. You know, a lot of the conflict that we had, that I had at the organization that I ran circled around other rescue organizations that felt like we were doing things wrong. When we were moving forward with more progressive practices and they were not in the same path as we were. And so when I actually listened to them and thought about it, I could understand why they were fearful. It does stem back to some of the fear. But as leaders in this field, we do have to talk to people that are negatively affecting the progress that our organization is going for so that we know where to educate. And also, to, like you said, you have to look at yourself and say, well, is there anything about this that could possibly be true? Um, a good example, I'll, I mean, I'll give you, we stopped back, I mean, this was very, very long time ago, my organization stopped um, testing every single cat that came in the door for feline leukemia and FIV. We just stopped testing every single cat because that was normal practices back then. And something, I read an article because that's usually how it works for me, or I saw something online and I did some research. And when you looked at the amount of money we spent on testing every single cat, and we maybe had 10 a year that would come down out of 5,000, it was just a ridiculous amount of money we were spending. So the other rescue organizations got upset with us and made a big stink in the community because we were sending out animals that weren't tested for um, feline leukemia and FIV. But we were testing those cats that had risk. So if they came from a hoarding situation or if they were living outside or, you know, we just didn't test everyone. So we then we took a look at ourselves and said, we haven't done a good enough job to communicate what we are doing rather than focusing on what we aren't doing. So we changed our messaging, made sure the community knew what we were doing. We sent out a press release with our change and then offered that service for people who were adopting. We could quickly do that for them for like 10 bucks, which is the cost of a test. So anyway, that was just an example of how taking, you know, listening to the community and making sure we know how to, to communicate out our perspective and what we're doing and the why. So I used to do social media for best friends. Uh, it was so long ago, the days of MySpace and Friendster. Oh, what was that? What was that one? Friends what? 
Friendster? Yeah, Friendster. I mean, I told you, that's how old I am. <laughs> Never heard of it. Anyway, MySpace, uh, you know, founded, I think, 2003. So we're really not even 20 years into this grand experiment we call social media. And I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but there were people at that time, about 13 or so years ago, there were some people who didn't like best friends. And it was just me, John Dunn, in an office in a converted closet at the sanctuary in Southern Utah, trying to respond to these folks. And I learned really quickly that all of the years of work the organization had done to that point of creating the organization, saving lives, forging partnerships with the rescue community, creating this amazing base of supporters I needed to leverage that and and allow our supporters to share their experiences to be able to counter some of that. And I also found it very effective to isolate the haters. You know, very rarely was it a mob of people, often just one person who I would see again and again and again. So I thought, how can I disarm them? And remember, this is before, you know, you could hide comments and all that kind of jazz. But I often would say, listen, I'd love to talk to you about this. Here's my phone number. Give me a call. Uh, I think I only ever got a couple of calls, but what did happen is that they rarely came back and kept going. And if they did, the answer for me was always the same. Give me a ring. Let's chat about this. You know, of course, if it needed to happen, they ultimately would be blocked. But man, I just love doing it. It sounds so silly, but a phone number means it's a real person you're talking to online, not a page on Facebook, not a nameless logo. It is a human being that's happy to chat. No, I agree. In fact, that's what this person did recently, this executive director. And there was a negative review post. And on that post, she posted a response for the organization, but then also said, call us, come in and tour, come and see what we're doing. We'll show you everything or just come and talk to me. And you're right. That shuts it down usually quickly because that's a step that they're not wanting to take a lot of times. And if they do, then they're coming in to learn something. I think that's a great technique. And I do believe in blocking people on social media. I do feel like there comes a time, it's your page, it's your organization's page. And if someone is constantly trying to undermine what you're doing, there's nothing wrong with blocking someone after you've given a number of attempts to educate and bring them around. Let's talk about branding. I want to talk about the branding side because that is part of the housewives world is they're really good at branding themselves as people in the housewives world. Um, If all their taglines, obviously, every time they start a housewives um, show that all the different housewives um, has their own taglines. And so one of the things that I feel like is important for organizations is to have you know, who are they? They should know who they are, what their culture is. And having these taglines is a simple way of communicating to their public on what it is they're doing. So a good example for obviously best friends is save them all. Other organizations, Richmond SPCA is every life is precious. The Jacksonville Humane, generosity breeds joy. Our Lynchburg Humane, which is where I'm from, our tagline was find happiness. So there's sets a tone. And I think every organization should really think about what it is they're communicating out to the public and who they are. And these taglines are really great opportunities to do that. Let's talk about data. So much of this is about being clear and transparent and data. If someone is accusing you of doing X, Y, and Z, hey, actually, that's not true. And I've got the data to back it up that shows it's not X, Y, Z. It's actually ABC. So facts, you know, despite some efforts, facts do still exist and they do still matter. 
You're right. And so I'm going to tie that back to the housewives. One of the things they always talk about is bringing the receipts, like bring your receipts, how, you know, prove that you're doing something right or you're doing something wrong. So for the shelter world, that's data, that's your statistics. So one of the things when I was running an organization is we kept stats on all the controversial topics. For instance, if someone says you're not taking in any owner surrenders, I can simply say we are. This is how many animals we're bringing in for owner surrenders because they were the managed intake program was a big controversial thing in our community at that time. So, you know, when they say you're turning people away, well, no, we actually brought in a hundred walk-ins last month where people walked in with their animals and we didn't have, make them have an appointment. So look at the data points that you're, we all do intake adoptions, return to owner. I get all the normal data that we do. I do think you should publish your data every month to your community on your, on your website or on social media. So everyone sees, you know, where you are in regards to life-saving. And in some organizations, one example I have was Norfolk, will publish, you know, their status every day on how full they were or how many adoptions they had the day before, how much intake they had. And that's also very doable too. But back to what I'm saying, there are data points that you're not thinking about that you should be tracking. So take a look at your organization and what programs you're doing and take a think about those areas that you might get criticized around and start collecting data around it. Does that make sense? It does. And one of the points in your presentation that I think is so important is to share that data. Not only when someone is accusing you of something, share it all the time. Share it with the public and with your staff. Make sure your staff are informed about what's happening, which, you know, again, I think it's good advice from a management perspective for just internal culture. But also, whether you like it or not, your staff are your spokespeople. They're going to be out there. They're going to be in the grocery store, at church, a party, wherever someone strikes up a conversation. Oh, what do you do for work? And that quickly leads to, oh, well, you know what I've heard that your shelter does blank, right? In that moment, there's an opportunity where you can set the facts straight, but your employee can only do that if they know the facts. They can be an advocate for you. Uh, You just need to trust them. And I think there's not enough attention paid to that. And look, I know staff meetings are boring and no one has time. Uh, So I am curious, what do you think about that? Any tips you have for disseminating information? I do. I agree 100%. And also your board. I mean, don't forget your board in regards to making sure you are providing them monthly data and year-to-date data. And honestly, at the every I mean, everybody has staff meetings. That's where you just share your data quickly for each month. But also, you can share your data and use your data in your newsletters with an email blast and create a dashboard for your team to know, you know, what's happening in regards to a uh, number of animals in and out. Another big thing is when we had these free adoption, we used to have free cat Fridays during some of our summer months, or we would have huge adoption events. And of course, the staff would say, oh, all these animals are going to be returned. So you look at the stats. What's the percentage of returns based on the number of animals rather than saying you had, you know, 20 animals returned? Okay, but how many more animals did you have to go out? What's the percentage there? So sometimes using data to also educate your staff and change their perspective is an important piece of it as well. When we started open adoptions and took away a lot of our requirements, like landlord checks, of course, the staff was like, we're going to have a whole lot of animals returned for landlord issues. 
And so we just tracked that information and shared it out every week to the team to make sure they knew so that they felt comfortable. This is how many we've had returned this week, which was none. I mean, actually, we went six months and maybe had three returns for landlords. So any case, my point is data is an important part of your story. You know, tell your story to combat the negative Nellies, but also tell your story to empower your team and empower your community to be involved with what you're trying to do. Words matter. It does seem sometimes that in the year 2022, language has just lost all its meaning, but it actually hasn't. You know, what we say, how we say it, it all really impacts the public. And the first one that comes to mind uh, for me and probably everybody else is I hate people. I'm in animal welfare because animals are good and people are bad. It's such a pervasive cultural thing in our business, right? And I I think the damage over the years that has been done from using that type of language, it's incalculable. And in your presentation, there was an example of that where people found out where you worked and they say, oh, bless you. I could just never do that. I couldn't work there. Never work there. I take them all home. Right. I just want to take them all home. But that's, we've inflicted that damage on ourselves, right? That person who loves animals, they should be an adopter. They should be a volunteer. They should be in the trenches with us, man, helping to fix this. But who wants to volunteer at a place where you believe the worst things imaginable happen there? What we say matters and we're the ones have the opportunity and the position to create the narrative. You said that beautifully because we teach people how to perceive our organization and animal shelters and rescues in general. So one of the things, it was funny because when I was the executive director, I had a list of words they were never allowed to use. And it's something as simple as forever home. I know that I get that question a lot. Why not forever home? Well, we're in the field of helping owners with problems that they might be having. We're in the field of helping lost pets. So by saying this is a forever home, it actually creates a perception that we are judging people that unfortunately have to turn in an animal. Right. Well, I need help now with my new pet, but I know the one place I'm not going to go is the place that told me that this was forever. Because they said I was a forever home. I feel guilty now. I mean, that happens. It's a re- it's a legitimate feeling. And so when every time I see it, I just, in fact, I can't even watch the HGTV show Forever Home because it bugs me. That word just bugs me um, because we have to be open and not judgmental. And I feel like that can be a judgmental statement. Words like dumped. This animal was dumped. Again, bad people, angry people. There are so many wrong social media posts out there that are judging people and putting people in a negative light over what we're having to deal with, that it creates a tone in the community around your shelter and around the work and around animal welfare issues. So if you want them, if you want to get people engaged in what you're doing, words matter because you don't want to create a villain in a story every single time because it's exhausting. And that that's one thing that I will say is a lot of organizations are putting out negative pleas all the time rather than also putting out all the positive stuff. I believe that you need to self-promote yourself as an organization in your social media and your PR and TV and news, you know, all the different ways that you can connect to your community. Let's put out a whole lot of positive. 
That way, when you really need their help with a negative story, and when I say negative, it may be this animal needs your support because we found it with a broken leg and we need you to foster this animal. Like when you have those moments, they're more likely to pay attention. The villain thing is so interesting to me. You know, I never really thought about it that way. If we think about going to school, you know, our English classes, we were told to create stories that have a protagonist and have an antagonist. So it makes sense that we want to present the stories about our work in a similar way. Right. Right. We have an animal come into our care. I think it's natural to want to play the hero in that story, right? We're the hero. We're going to rescue this pet. But does your story truly need a villain? No. Like you don't need a villain to be a hero. We can have positive without also presenting a negative. One thing your presentation touched on was how Disney has mostly shifted away from having that sort of all powerful one evil character. That is interesting. That's a huge shift because um, you're right. I mean, you can be your own hero without having to have to combat against somebody else or something else. So what are we learning from the housewives on this one, McKenna? You know, I know I haven't watched it, but at least from the promos I see, it does look like there are villains. There are a lot of villains in that. But I think with the housewives, they get called out with the wrong choice of words. Like they are themselves called out. And I guess that's why I tied it together with housewives. But I, regardless of if it was a close tie or not, I just felt like it was an important message for the animal sheltering world to really hear because how you portray the community in your posts is how they will see your organization as well. You're getting what you're putting out like Lynchburg. I I know I use Lynchburg all the time, but that's my frame of reference. You know, our tagline is find happiness. So we built a shelter and we wanted people to find happiness. We wanted pets to find happiness. We wanted volunteers to be happy when they were in our building. We wanted a happy environment. So that is everything we do, even if we're telling a sad story, is going to have a feeling of being happy that someone is helping. Lynchburg wants people to have a positive feeling around the organization. And you find that many times with a lot of great, strong organizations, they rely on the community to support the work that they're doing. And if you beat up on that community, they're not going to come to your rescue and help when you need it. So even like these, right? Like that was a big change. um, What, five years ago, six years ago, it was a big push to stop putting breeds on kennel cars because we don't know what what we do. We don't know really if it's a pit bull or it's a boxer, if it's a border collie. Border collies were my favorite. There was a whole lot of border collies in our area. Even that is, is looking at the words you're choosing to describe an animal will make a difference in the community as well. And how, you know, how they perceive what you're trying to to disseminate to them. Well, listen, I'm interested to know what you think about. And, and listen, I think a lot of organizations do this, and this is not intended to be critical. But I want to talk about the posts that go out where we're shaming people. You know, maybe someone came in this morning to work and someone tied a dog to the front door. I think the perfectly normal human reaction is how awful. How could someone do that? Then you open Facebook, you take a photo, tell everyone what happened because you want to educate people. But because we are so quick to create that hero villain dynamic, listen, and you're mad about what happened. You should be mad. It's not cool. 
But you tell the world that that person is a terrible person for doing that, that giving up their pet, that should never happen. It should be a forever home. You're awful for doing that. Listen, that may work. You might raise more money that day than you ever have. That post might go viral. But what is the harm that a post like that does? You know, we've talked about the narrative and how we control that narrative. Whether we like it or not, we're all in this together. The average member of the public doesn't know the difference between a shelter, a humane society, and SPCA. So everything we all do impacts the thoughts and feelings of the public at large. So when someone says, oh, I could never do that job, maybe it's because they saw posts like that. They think that those things happen every day. So as tempting as it is to say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I like doing posts like that. We raise lots of money. You do whatever you want. I hope we can all remember that there are consequences to this that affect all of us. I think we make assumption, assumptions too. Like a, an animal tied up front doesn't necessarily mean that the owner tied the animal up. One of the things that I also think that people don't understand when they find things like that or, they, or the dog's hit by a car, well, someone hit and ran. Uh, we don't know that. Like they truly make assumptions and go down a path that if you really unravel it is they have no real true concept if, if it's real or not. They're just making assumptions. And yeah, creating that narrative, you know, it may have worked to say, we're the hero, give us more money so we can stop the bad guys and do more heroic things. But that cycle can quickly take hold, right? You get one successful post, it goes viral, natural urges to do it again, right? Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And this is 2022, People love outrage. We love to be mad about things. I just saw, you know, uh, I just saw the press in England going nuts over this clip uh, of a video of Prince Harry not singing the final 10 seconds of God Save the King at the Queen's funeral. Like, listen, man, the guy just lost his grandmother. He had to walk across London behind her casket while being watched by billions of people. But hey, let's focus on 10 seconds of that day. I mean, it's like we just want to be mad. I know the natural tendency is to do what brings attention to your work, what gets you more likes, more comments, more shares. But what is the long-term impact? The long-term impact is a negative feeling around your organization, truthfully. I know that they probably don't see it that way, but if you were to go into our community here that I live in nine years ago, they would say nothing but negative things about pet owners because that's what the image was in the community. Now I think you would say that this is a, a pet loving community because that's the messaging that we've put out. And I think when you, when you put out a lot of the negative information around your community, when you need that community to help you, they would be less likely to be a part of your cause because they're seen as anti what you're trying to do. I guess how you make people feel is something that I always talked about in regards to when I was running the shelter and now even with my own team members, you can say a whole lot of, of information to someone. They won't remember 50% of it. It's how you make them feel is what's going to be what sticks to them. So I say that because when you have an animal tied up outside or you um, have a lot of animals returned. And if you want to beat up the community around that, you're just not making anybody feel good about what you're doing. You're making people feel bad. And so do you really want to continuously feel bad? Especially right now, I think we're all searching for something positive because we've been living in such a terrible time for the last few years. With all the stress of 
whether you're politically aligned or not, or whether or not you have COVID or not, or whether you're losing someone or not, or there's just a lot of negative things coming at us. And so how you as an organization make your community feel is important. And it's important in everyday interactions with people as well. We all want to educate. We all want to make someone responsible for something that's happened. I get that. Like when something happens, my first thought, unfortunately, sometimes is, well, who's responsible for that? When it really isn't, it shouldn't be. It should be, how can we fix the current problem? And then we can deal with the other side of it. So I think it's a normal response in some cases to say, I have to make someone responsible for this, which really doesn't need to be. It just is an issue and we're going to solve it. It happens so much though, doesn't it? You know, I see that stuff all the time here and I'm sure you see it as well. I've got a lot of examples of of organizations. Unfortunately, I do. Um, I did a presentation in Dallas when we were in Dallas around crisis management and and social media and around what not to do on social media. And, And I just pulled local posts from the local rescue here, like a friends of group that just was so anti people. And I thought, well, this is why they're not getting the help. They're not, this is exactly why they are where they are and they they haven't uh, achieved a no-kill status quite yet. Uh, but then again, there's a lot of great examples of stories that are inspiring. The one story that comes to mind is that puppy or dog, I guess it was an adult dog tied up to the fire hydrant with a note and a bag of stuff, whereas that organization could have ripped into that owner instead was encouraging to that person and thankful for that person for caring about their pet to the point where, you know, the community can rally around and really truly help um, find a better home for them. So do you have that handy? Can you read it? It's it's, okay. So I can do that. Okay. You've seen this recent photo of a dog tied to a fire hydrant in Green Bay, and we understand it invokes strong emotional response. She's currently in her care, serving her mandatory stray hold, and is doing great. As her story gains attention locally and beyond, we wanted to take a moment and address baby girl's previous owner directly. See, I might get a little verklempt. I just want to share that. First and foremost, we are so sorry you had to part with your best friend. How nice is that? That one sentence alone just sets the tone for the rest of it. It's evident just how much you loved her, and we can see you did your best while struggling with your own medical complications and challenges of life. We see your love in bag in the bag. Oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional reading it. But my point is how that's making me feel something. It's making your community really truly understand the work that you do in a positive way. Who doesn't want to be part of that? I know. I can't even read the rest of it. Well, we'll have to put a link to that post on the website so people can see it. I, I, you know, it's not even because it's first thing in the morning and I've only had one cup of coffee. It's, it's truly a touching post that makes you want to get involved with this organization because they care. They care about the animals. If you don't care about people, people will wonder, are you caring about the animal? I, it's a weird dynamic, but it, but it's true. This organization is probably thriving in this community because of how much they care about the community as a whole. So much of this, McKenna, as I was looking at the presentation, it's the simple stuff, right? It's plan, be prepared, think ahead, 
Like how might someone perceive this thing? How are they likely to feel when they read this? What questions are there going to be from the public when we post this? You know, we do campaigns of best friends and whether it's a marketing campaign or whatever, we'll often create an FAQ. It's a really simple exercise ahead of time where you're anticipating questions, concerns, maybe even some attacks that you're going to get. Obviously, this is more helpful for the trickier stuff, but the, you know, but the last thing you want is to be in the moment of something and trying to figure out what to say. I've been there. You've probably been there. It's not fun. So whatever you can do to prepare so that when you're in that moment, you know what to say and how to say it, you're going to be less likely to be baited into getting into a back and forth because you're just trying to fumble your way through it, just following your emotions. You know, plan, be prepared. You're going to be reactive. So when we started changing a lot of our policies when I was in Richmond, we actually did role play around you know, angry customers coming in or people in the community yelling at us about, you know, changes that we made. So we did a lot of role playing. But back to your point, it's it's the same thing. If you're going to make a change or you're going to change a policy that you think the community may or may not react to, have those talking points for your staff and for your board and volunteers, anybody that's representing your organization. But on top of that, also it's crisis management. Every shelter in this in the country has an opportunity for a dog to inflict real damage to a person, right? We all have that opportunity in our shelters because we have dogs. So why not create a press release now when you don't have an incident so that you can be ready for it when it does happen? Because it happens. It's impossible for it not to happen. So take a look at those crises that could possibly happen in your shelter. It could be even as simple as if you're in Florida and you get hurricanes every every summer or every fall, then let's go ahead and create a template so you can drop the information in and send it out when you need people to respond to help you. It's a lot of different types of crises that can happen. So might as well start working on what that would look like now when you're not in the middle of it. That way, when you're in the middle of it, you can quickly send out this information to the staff and to the board and to the media. And you're not going to react so strongly because you're in a calm, emotional place when you create it. One of the final points in the presentation is simple, but I really think uh, they're words to live by. Put out into the world what you want to receive back. I mean, that, that's a, in a nutshell, what you put out is what you receive. I mean, that's the same thing in life. If you put out a lot of negative energy, you're going to receive a lot of negative energy. Um, so it's no different in any organization or any corporation, even what you put out is what you receive. Yeah, totally. What else about this, McKenna, did you want to talk about, but we haven't touched on yet? You know, what more can we learn from the real housewives? You know, I will say this, the other part of housewives that they do really well is their image, right? Their glam squad, their physical for an organization. How does that equate to them? The images you put out, the photos you put out, how can you portray to the community that you're a positive place, that your animals are worthy of their attention to come in and adopt? So I know we always talk about, oh, your photos, but truly your photos and the image you put out is just as important as the words that you choose. 
So I, it's funny, I hired a marketing person who never quite got it. And she would take photos of dogs and cats and, you know, use them in ads. And, and I would say that photo isn't doing it. That photo does nothing. It's a brown background with a, a brown mixed breed dog. And there's no emotion there. Like it doesn't make you feel anything other than blah. So when you take these photos and you post these photos, how does I go back to what I said earlier? And I know I'm repeating myself millions of times. But if you're not feeling something around the photo, either happy or funny or joy or even sadness, I mean, some feeling needs to come from these photos and how you portray these animals are important. Yeah, if everything is sad and everything you say is this is terrible, who wants to get involved in that? Not to say you shouldn't be real, be real. But there are ways to do it that also inspire action. You know, things are tough, but you can help us you can be a lifesaver with us. Listen, we have an opportunity to solve a social crisis in our lifetime, in our careers. I mean, how many people in the nonprofit space can say that? Not many. And it's not that those causes are less worthy. It's just that ours were at a place because of the work of millions of people before us. We're to a point where we can solve it. I mean, what an opportunity. Can we ensure the entire world has access to clean water? Sure. But the political will, the cost, there's so many things that have to be moved out of the way to make that happen. And it will happen, surely, someday, hopefully. But it's probably going to be long after I'm pushing up daisies. But not for us. We're, we have this problem that we can solve, but we so often talk about it as if we can't. Oh, you know, that's a powerful statement, John. Exactly. I, I think it, it's going to take the community. It's going to take the public it's gone. And if we keep just complaining and complaining and complaining. And so when you see commercials that are sad and showing animals that are suffering and chained up all the time, I mean, I turn those commercials off. I turn those commercials off. I switch the channel because I'm, I'm, oh, it's overwhelming. And if all that you're putting out is negative energy and negative posts and people are bad and our animals are suffering, you're just not bringing people to you. You're sending people away. It's as simple as that. Like you said, you put out in the community what you want to receive back. Imagine a time when you can walk into a grocery store and you tell people where you work or they see your t-shirt because you have you know, a work t-shirt on and they say, oh, that is such a wonderful place. I love that place. You all are doing so such amazing work and I can imagine I would love to work there one day. Thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, Kim Clonch, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.